Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Josh. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Clear Creek. Uh, I got to tell you, my wife and I, we've been here now coming up on three months. Doesn't feel like it, but we have. And we're learning what those of you who've been here for any length of time already know, that this is a sweet family of Jesus followers who love each other, even when we're a little prickly, and we love to follow Jesus better. And so as part of that, over the past seven and a half weeks, eight weeks, we have been walking through this beautiful little letter in the New Testament called the letter to the Colossians. It was written by a man named Paul who was a follower of Jesus. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. But before we do, uh, I I just want to sort of say again, thank you to uh, all of our leaders in the church who've made this study possible. Uh, One last time tonight, will you just hold up? If you have your uh, Colossians journal, will you hold it up? Let me just see those in here. Man, you guys are outstanding. And if you don't have one, that's okay. There are extras. And if you've missed some of our, our, our walkthrough, they are all online. You can go to our YouTube channel. You what? YouTube. You what? It, it's online. Just go there. It's video. And you can see um, the only thing that we can't do with YouTube that I really wish we could is like speed up the playback. So that way you don't like have to listen to it in the same speed. You can kind of get through it more quickly. But you can go on, get caught up if you missed anything. Uh, But again, those journals are out there. And by the way, if you know of someone who would benefit from a copy of the journal, take one, take two, take three, give them to a friend, send them to the, uh, the, the, the YouTube channel if you want them to see the messages, or even better, forget me telling them anything, you sit down with a friend, share with them things that you've learned, because that's ultimately what we want, is that our church would know Jesus so well and be able to share Jesus well with others. Amen? Amen. So, let me pray for us tonight, and then we're going to get into this very last section in the letter to the Colossians. I've got to tell you, I'm kind of sad that we're coming to an end, but don't worry, we'll have another book of the Bible here very soon that we'll go through. But let's pray together and invite Jesus into our midst here. Holy Father, with every head bowed, And heart humbled, we come to you now. Thanking you for being the infinite wise God who loves us. Who saw each of us before time began. Who numbered the days of our lives. Saw every moment both good and bad. The God who sees our inner thoughts, our outer actions. And yet you love us. Even though we at times are very unlovable. We come to you tonight to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for not simply being a great God, but being an intimate and loving Father. Lord, we want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you for seeing us and loving us enough to give us the most precious gift, the blood of your Son, so that as his blood ran and as his life ebbed out, in that moment he was buying eternal life for every one of us who would simply trust that Jesus is God and through him we may find life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we've looked these past weeks at this little letter, it's all about Jesus. May our lives reflect that simple phrase in how we live and how we love one another and our neighbors. Holy Spirit, be with us this evening. 
go before us in the text. Make a way that we can understand what you would want us to see. Help us not simply to gain more information, but through what we read, be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And until the day comes that we see you face to face, may we walk hand in hand with you, demonstrating just how good you are to all with whom we meet. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, this is it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. Last section, final moments. This is it. Now, before we can get to the end, I need to take you back to the beginning. You say, Colossians chapter 1. No, no, no. I need to take you all the way back to the very beginning. At that moment when the phrase was spoken... In the beginning. And we're told that there is this great big God who created everything. Who breathed out stars and planets and galaxies. Whose very thoughts became word, became reality. We are going back to the beginning. And in the moment of creation we are told that God saw all things. Was over all things. And there's this very interesting Word that is used. It says, in the beginning, God. The word there is Elohim. Everyone say Elohim. Elohim. That word, literally translated, is not God, singular, but in the beginning, God's, plural. You say, wait a minute, what? In the beginning, we get a picture that God is three in one because God is there. The spirit of God is hovering over the deep. And then in John chapter one, when John the apostle writing the story of the life of Jesus, he echoes the same words from Genesis and says, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word of God, church? Jesus, by the way, I need to be very clear. This Bible is a gift from God, but it itself is not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, and what is breathed onto these pages is his word to us. But Jesus is the word of God. Do we understand that? He is the animating force of all creation. Now, here's why I bring this up, that in the beginning, it wasn't simply God... But in the beginning, it was the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit together, that God has eternally existed, three in one. You say, wait a minute, what does this have to do with Colossians? Hang with me, this will make sense. You and I need to understand that when we talk about who Jesus is, because all of Colossians is all about Jesus. All of life is all about Jesus. For you and I to understand who Jesus is and to make sense of this thing we call Christianity, you and I must understand that Jesus Christ is God. He is three in one, one God, three persons. This means that God is fundamentally community. God is fundamentally relational. God is not isolated and alone. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, long before we came along, they already had the best small group ever. They had each other. This is why when we talk about the love of God spilling out into creation, that God loved, he just sort of bubbled up into creating all things, all people. It's not because he was lonely. 
It was because the love of God in the Father, Son, Spirit bubbled up. Here's a way to think of this. Mommies, daddies, if you've had children, question. Did you need children to have a fulfilling marriage? And the whole church said what? No, you did not need little people for you and your spouse to have a fulfilling marriage. Now, do they enhance things and make life more beautiful in certain ways? Absolutely, absolutely. But understand me, Lindsay and I had a great marriage before we had children. What happened is the love of a man with a woman ends up spilling out from their relationship into saying, this love is too much, it's too great, it must spill out into creating new life, new love that we can share it with. That is the picture of God, the Father, Son, Spirit. As one, they say, this is so great, let's share it. Let's create some beings to share it with. Does this make any sense at all to anyone in this church? So here's why I say this. Because Jesus is fundamentally a communal God. He is a relational God. He has created you and me to be relational beings, correct? That, that I, I'm just not as good as I can be on my own. Hear me now. You and I, our salvation is individual, meaning you are saved for, or you are saved by yourself, not someone else saves you. Uh, my wife, it's not that Lindsay and I are saved together as one. Rather, Jesus saved me individually. Jesus saved her individually. This is why it's important for our young people to have their own faith and not simply live off the faith of their parents because when they stand before God, they will not stand before God and say, well, my mommy and daddy loved you. No, it's they're individually saved and come into relationship with God. Now, here's why I say this. You are saved individually, but you and I grow in community. We become like Jesus when we get to love one another, serve one another, care for one another. This is why when Jesus was asked what is the greatest command, he says, love God with everything you have. And then he says, the second commandment is like it. Love your who, church? Your neighbor as yourself. The way we express the goodness of God in our lives and through our lives and become more like Jesus is how we love one another and care for one another. Meaning, we were made for community. Does everyone catch this main point? So here's why I mention this. The Apostle Paul in these final verses, if you and I were to say, how do you, how do you end such a great letter like the letter to the Colossians? Paul says, well, here's how I do it. I show you the important people in my life who are making my ministry possible and who are helping me to become more like Jesus Christ. Because when it's all about Jesus, and when you and I get that at the core of our being, we will end up in a relationship with other people. We can't help but to get in community with other people. And so Paul's going to list 10 different kinds of people. Now, these aren't all the kinds of people. These are examples of the kinds of people. But these are 10 kinds of people that are in the body of Christ. Different personalities, attitude, actions, ways that we interact. And here's the two questions I want you and I to explore as we go through these 10 people and close out our Colossians time together. Here are the two questions. Are you ready? You may want to jot this down. Number one, as we read these names, ask yourself, What kind of person am I? What kind of person am I in this community? How am I participating and contributing to the body 
to which I belong? What kind of person am I? Second question. What kind of people have I surrounded myself with? What kind of people have I said I will be in deep community with these kinds of people? I remember, and maybe you've heard this phrase, a friend of mine years and years ago used to say, Josh, you will be the average of the five people you are are around the most. You want to know who you will be? Look at the five people you are around the most. You will be the average of those five. So what kind of person am I? What kind of person am I in this community? And number two, what kind of people have I surrounded myself with? So are you ready? Here we go. Let's read. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse... Whoopsie, it flipped to Matthew. Here we go. (laughs) That's for another day. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus, or Tychicus, is as it's supposed to be pronounced, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. By the way, can you imagine having the name Jesus in that day? You introduce yourself, they're like, we've heard about you. No, I'm not. Just call me Justice, okay? Jesus, also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proven a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Verse 13, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, And for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, Luke the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. And verse 18, notice what he says as he finishes this little letter. I, Paul, write this very greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Ten kinds of people. Who are you? Who are you surrounding? Let's go through these. Number one. The very first one he mentions here is a guy named Tychicus. You say, wait a minute, C-H. Well, the C-H is pronounced with a K. Tychicus. Let's all do this together. Now, here's the why. Each one of these names, because I'm terrible at names, I'm going to invite you to also share in my suffering in having to say the names out loud, okay? So let's all together, I'll say it again, Tychicus. And on the count of three, let's just all do this together, okay? Tychicus. One, two, three. Tychicus. Ross, thank you for helping us out there. I appreciate that. Okay, so Tychicus. Here's the first person, Tychicus. Verse 7 and 8. He is, 
If you want a word to describe these different people, I'm going to give you a word for each. The word I would give to you for Tychicus is dependable. You say, why that word? Well, here's the reason. Notice in verse 7, Paul says that I am sending him to tell you how I'm doing. He's the one who's going to be carrying this letter to you. Can we talk about the importance of this letter in the lives of the church over almost 2,000 years, family? Over the past seven weeks, you and I have been able to sort of marinate. By the way, what a nice word when we think about Scripture. You just kind of get in there and sit on a marinade. You go, I don't want to sit in anything you've been marinating. But okay, we get in the Scriptures, this Scripture, this beautiful little letter that Paul wrote. Tychicus was responsible for getting it to the correct people. You say, well, what's the big deal? Have you ever seen a Middle Eastern road? And I'm not talking about a bombed out version that we see today. I'm talking about one far worse than the ones we tend to see today. Paul, who most likely was in prison in Rome, is sending Tychicus across Over to Colossae. Now you say, well, so what's the big deal? Well, let's just talk about what it took to take a letter from point A to point B. He had to walk by foot across Italy. He then sailed across the Adriatic. He then crossed Greek and then sailed across the the Aegean Sea. And then he walked after landing at Miletus up the steep Lycus River Valley to Colossae. You say, well, where was the Uber? They didn't have Ubers. They didn't really have many options. He is walking. He's riding on ships. He is very much taking his life in his own hands to carry the letter of Paul to the Colossians. What kind of person must he be for Paul to trust him with it? By the way, when we think about these letters, they were written on scrolls, parchment, most likely. Uh, in some cases, it would be uh, it'd be skin that had been stretched, that had been rolled up, but depending on what he wrote on. But it was delicate. Here's the point. Expensive and delicate. He doesn't get to take it down to the local Kinko's and make an extra copy just in case something happens. Just in case Tychicus drops it in the river, in the ocean along the side, down a hill, whatever. This is the one letter, this is the one copy. Will you get this to whom it needs to go? And not only this church, did you know he's not only the messenger for this letter, but two other New Testament letters? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, we're told that Tychicus is also the one who's going to tell the church in Ephesus all about what Paul is dealing with. Most scholars agree that Paul was that Tychicus was also the messenger carrying the letter to the Ephesians. Anyone in here ever been blessed by that little letter? Let me give you a third one. Notice in verse 9, we're told that Tychicus has a little partner in ministry going with him back to Colossae. Who is the man in verse 9, church? Onesimus. Now, where have we heard that name before? Oh, yeah, he's the runaway slave that we read about in the letter to Philemon. By the way, Philemon was a church leader, member of the church in Colossae. Most likely on this very journey, Tychicus not only takes Colossae to Ephesus, but because they were on the same path, but also took the letter to Philemon. Don't worry, Onesimus, we'll get it to the right guy. Don't worry, I will vouch for you. Don't worry, we will get it there. He was dependable. Paul says, will you do this? He says, no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, no matter how difficult it is, I will get it done. Church, quick question. What kind of person are you? 
Are you a dependable person that when someone asks you to do something, even if it seems to be a menial task, an unimportant job, that you say, I will do it. You can depend on me. Is it true that this world is in need of some dependable people? Oh my goodness, the number of uh, business owners that I know who are sick and tired of trying to find good employees. They'll hire someone, they'll train someone, they'll show up for one day, maybe one and a half days, and they say, "Eh, this really just doesn't, this is cutting into my necessary 18 hours of sleep every day. This is interfering in my online gaming life. I can't come to work because I have more important things to do, such as sleeping, laying out, and going to Starbucks and drinking overpriced coffee. Are we in need of dependable people? Oh boy, yeah, we need some Tychicuses. Are you this kind of a person? Do you know people like this? And not only this, here's the beautiful thing. Because he was dependable in these things, by the way, say, are we going to take this long on all 10? No, this is the longest, so hang with me here. One of the things we notice, not only was he so dependable in carrying the letter that a few years later, we're going now to the end of Paul's life. Paul writes two very important letters, a few years apart, we think, from one another. The first one was to a young man named Titus. He's a church leader in this, on the island of Crete. And Paul, in the latter years of his life, he says, it's the fall of my life, it's winter here. I'm getting, not only is it winter in, in, in the time of year, but in my life. I'm coming to the end and I want my friend Titus to be with me. So Titus, I'm going to send one of two people, a guy named Artemis or Tychicus to help care for your church so you can come and be with me where I am and be a comfort. He was so dependable on some things that now he's being elevated to do greater things, including leading a church. Fast forward just a few more years. Paul writes another letter now to another young man, his protege by name of Timothy. Timothy, The second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, and in it he tells Timothy... Come quickly, bring my parchments, bring my cloak. He's, he's a man who knows his time is about to come. We know by church record that sometime around 65 AD, Paul was beheaded in Rome most likely by Nero. And this happens sometime just before that. And he calls to Timothy and he says, I'm telling you what, so you don't have to worry about the church there in Ephesus that you are helping lead. I'm sending Tychicus to Ephesus now to be an interim minister to help take care for your church so you can come. This man, because he was dependable with a few things. What is it? Matthew 16, 10. He who is faithful in a little will be faithful with much. He's a dependable person. Do you know anyone like this? Paul says, this is the first kind of person. He then goes on, he says, but there's another kind of person. We already mentioned him a moment ago. His name is Onesimus. Now, what do we know about Onesimus? Onesimus was a runaway what, church? Slave. He was a runaway slave. This is a guy who has, and here's the word for you, a past. He's got a past. There's an old video, a parody video of churches around America, how they were trying to get real hip and cool. And one part of the video, it shows the worship leader. And he says, now I'm going to extend my arms wide, revealing my tattoo to show that we all have a past. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, come on. Tick, or, or Onesimus had a past. In fact, remember last week we said that in the Roman world, 
there were one of four ways that you'd become a slave. One is that you would sell yourself for a period of time to pay off a debt. Another one was to sell yourself for life so that you'd be cared for by the master and be able to be fed, cared for, and, and, and perhaps elevated with education and other things. There were two other ways, remember? If you were a prisoner of war or if you were an abandoned child, you might be taken into slavery. In those cases, as a slave, you would receive a brand, a hot iron branding you saying you are the property of another person. This is your status. This is who you are. Onesimus, as a runaway slave, would have been branded always carrying with him who he was. Now he ran away. He had robbed, most likely, his master Philemon. He goes on the run. And while he's on the run, by the providence of God, he meets a man by the name of Paul. He comes to faith. He meets Jesus. And through the grace of God, he then goes back now to Colossae with Tychicus. And he's returning. And can you imagine... What that must have been like for him. I know so many people in the church today think that because of their past, they are now disqualified from ever having an impact in God's kingdom in the future. And here's what Onesimus tells us. Your past does not determine your future. That what you have done does not determine who you are. That in the Lord's church, grace is the cornerstone of who we are. Amen? By the way, quick question, anyone in here, is there anyone in here who doesn't have a past? Is there anyone in here who says, man, I'm just perfect. When I walk, I sort of float off the ground. Anyone in here willing to say that? Listen, the reality is, it's not that we don't have a past. The only difference between us is what kind of pasts we have. And so Onesimus, he's this other kind of person who goes back and he becomes useful, Paul says, in the letter to the to Philemon. And what I find so interesting about Onesimus is simply this. Onesimus, although he was branded for life a slave, he becomes useful in the church. Hear me now. Sometimes the most painful moments of your past become the opening line of your testimony. I think about all my friends who have had certain things that were painful done to them or that they have done. And because of what God has done, he has redeemed it and used it to their benefit and to others' good. This morning I was with a dear friend from our church here. Uh, and we had breakfast, we were just talking, and, and he made the statement. He, he, he started telling me about a season of life where for 40 years he and his wife uh, were, were struggling with infertility. And it was heart-wrenching. And then... As part of their story, when they started to, to find out they could have kids, they then have a miscarriage. Do you think that he will be able to reach out to other people who are going through that situation more effectively than someone who has never struggled to get pregnant? Absolutely. Those of you who have been divorced, you say, well, my life's over, my testimony is shot. Are you kidding me? You will be the kind of person that someone who is going through a divorce, has gone through a divorce, they will listen to you because you know what it is like. For those of you who have dealt with anger issues or an addiction or you have had a moment of great weakness where you've blown up your lives, but by the grace of God, he's begun to put it back together. That moment begins to be your opening testimony that there is a God who can use all of us with a past. And your past may be the thing that opens the door to share with someone else. 
So quick question, what kind of person are you? Are you a person who has a past? And second question, are you leveraging your past to benefit someone else's future? Here's the third kind of person. Are you ready? Can we keep moving along here? So you've got the Tychicuses. I wish we just call him Ty or something easier, but Tychicus. You've got Onesimus who has a past. Well, what about this guy? Verse 10, Aristarchus. Let's just say that name. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Aristarchus. Are you ready? One, two, three. Aristarchus. Aristarchus, we hear about him, verse 10. He is one of three Hebrew people who followed Paul and were part of his ministerial entourage. And what do we know about Aristarchus? He says this, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus sends you greetings. So what do we know about Aristarchus's status at that moment in life, church? He's a prisoner. He's someone who is experiencing the same challenges that Paul himself is facing. He is someone, and here's the word I would give to you for Aristarchus. He is a true companion. He is in it with Paul completely. He doesn't just talk theoretical. Well, I kind of know what you're going through. No, he is there with Paul in the jail cell. In fact, Aristarchus is mentioned a couple other places in Scripture. First time he's mentioned? Is that a riot? Acts chapter 20, they're in Ephesus. This is one of Paul's missionary journeys. By the way, if you sign up with Paul, are you expecting a real plush, easy life or a real difficult life, church? It's going to be hard, isn't it? Wherever Paul goes, he gets shipwrecked, he gets beaten up, he gets robbed, he gets stoned. He has all these problems. Aristarchus is there. The first time we meet him is when the city of Ephesus is going bonkers. You remember the silversmith in Ephesus. This man whose job, his livelihood is making little silver idols of the goddess of the city there. They get so mad because of what Paul is doing and how he's talking about there's only one God, not this God, that they stir the city up into a riot and the people grab Aristarchus and they take him with plans to kill him. Does that scare Aristarchus off? Nope. Makes it out of that one alive. Next place we see Aristarchus is in Acts chapter 27. What's interesting about that passage? Oh, that's the one where Paul gets on the ship that is eventually shipwrecked. Aristarchus is one of the people who is malnourished on that boat and almost drowns trying to get to safety. And now he's a prisoner. Quick question, are you the kind of companion that no matter what happens, people know that you're going to be there with them? You know, friends... You know the kind of friends you have, right? The ones that are real friends. The ones who, no matter what happens, they show up. Uh, I had a buddy in, in college, and a nice guy, but I learned that I couldn't depend on him because he'd always tell me, Josh, whatever you need, whatever, I'll, I'll be there for you. And I'd say, oh, that's so great. I remember when my car broke down by the side of the road. I had a cell phone. It was my first cell phone. I was really excited. Now, it had like the really bad reception. You know, it was like... It sounded like you were talking through the clown mouth at the local fast food drive through whenever you talked on this thing. But I remember I picked up my phone, I called my friend and said, hey, I'm broken down, I need a ride, can you help me out? He goes, man, I'd really like to help you. I mean, I would would do it, You, you understand, I would be there for you, but you need to understand, I'm in the middle of a very intense, multi layered tournament of playing 
007 GoldenEye Nintendo 64 video game, and I'm winning. I'm sorry, I can't help you. What? You're giving me up for GoldenEye? Now, okay, admittedly, it's a pretty good game. But come on, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that when someone needs you, you are the companion that no matter when everyone else turns their back, you don't? Is that the kind of people that you surround yourself with? Can, can I just, without being an alarmist, can I, can I share with you something here? Our culture is increasingly becoming not de-churched, but post-Christian, meaning they have seen Christianity, or they think they have, and they've said they don't want it. It is going to become, most likely, unless God has us go through another great awakening, this country is going to become a more dark, difficult place to live. Now that shouldn't scare us, because when the room is darker, you don't need as bright of a light to shine the room, amen? So your influence is going to go greater in a world that is not populated by halfway Christians. But the reality is, it's going to become more challenging to stand up and say, I am with Jesus. I need people who I know will be there with me, even if it means prison. What kind of person are you? Are you a companion to others? And do you have those around you? Let's keep going. After Aristarchus... You have this guy named Mark. Now, I'm going to give you an easy one here. Are you ready on the count of three? Let's just say Mark. One, two, three. Mark. Mark. All right, what do we know about this guy named Mark? Well, Mark is the cousin to a man named Barnabas. Now, by the way, that should make a little bit of sense to those of you who know your Bible. Paul and Barnabas were a little dynamic duo going around missionizing the world. They bring along this younger guy named John Mark, or Mark. And Mark, he's there with them for a season, but then he gets cold feet. He starts to miss his mama, his blankie. We don't know, but he leaves. He goes back home. Paul is ticked about this. And so he's like, well, I don't want to have him around. If he's not going to stick with us, I don't want this guy. So Mark is now estranged from Paul for 11 years, we think. And at one point, Mark kind of says, well, could I come back with you? And and Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. And Paul's traveling companion, companion Barnabas, says what? Sure, come on. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, sure, uh uh-uh, sure, uh uh-uh. And they have this little argument about it, right? Makes a little bit more sense now that you know that Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Why Barnabas would want him to come along. But here's the bigger point. For years, Paul and Mark, both Christ followers, had a falling out and did not interact well. But at some point between the falling out and this point in verse 10, who is now one of Paul's close companions? It's Mark. Here's what I would tell you, church. What Mark teaches us is simply this word. Uh, There may be a better one to use, but I'm just going to use the word reunion. There are people that God wants to put back in your life if you are simply willing to open the door and have a conversation. Are you the kind of person, am I the kind of person, that when someone does something wrong, we still are longing to have reunion with them? Or do we shut ourselves off from the possibility of reunion with another brother or another sister in Christ And then there are other people where where maybe it's not that something bad has happened. You just never really hit it off. And so are we the kind of people who give someone else a second chance? Uh, 
some of Lindsay's and my best friends from Houston were this couple named Michael and Melissa. When we first met this couple, nice couple, we found out later, but when we first met them, I remember we drove home from the, the get-together where they were at, and, and we're kind of, okay, by the way, just, okay, forget that this is, I mean, no one's going to watch this, just listen for a second here. How many of you, when you go visit someone at their house, when you get in your car and you start driving home, how many of you start talking about the night, the time you were with people, and the people themselves? How many of you sort of talk about the people you just visited? Anyone here? I'm like the only one who does this. Well, you need to know when I leave your house, we're going to be going, oh, it was so lovely, and oh, she was so sweet, and he was, oh, and that food. We're going to talk about you. Okay, fair warning. So here's the deal. We're leaving. Michael and Melissa and, and, and Lindsay and I, we're kind of going around of the different people we met. Oh, this person, that person, oh, they're great, great. We get to them, and we're both like, do they just hate us? I mean, we just felt like this chilly wind blowing from them. I'm so grateful that they give us, and we give them another shot. We became best friends with Michael and Melissa. You know what we found out? It wasn't that they were cool towards us. They were just incredibly shy people. They weren't going to be the first ones jumping up and down to say hi because they were nervous. Here's the reality. How many relationships might we miss out on if we are not willing and not open to reunion? What kind of people are we? Are, the, are we the kind of people who are always saying, man, let's have a reunion? Do you have those kind of people around you who are always prompting you to draw people back in? We need that in the church. The churches of Christ are a beautiful group, but we have had a history fraught with division and sectarianism that says we're the only group and then we divide from ourselves and we divide from ourselves and we divide from ourselves. We need to be people and know people within the body who say enough of that, let's come home together. Amen? We need some marks in the church. Let's keep going here. So you've got Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark. Here we go, justice. What do we know about justice? Well, we don't know much. Basically, we know one thing. He is a Hebrew who has put his lot in with Paul. There were not many Hebrew men or women who by this point in the first century were giving their lives to Jesus. The bulk of people coming to Christ were Gentiles. Let me ask you a quick question. Did Paul receive most of his difficulty from Gentiles or Hebrews? So what happens if you're with Paul and you're one of the Hebrews? You understand that stepping out with Paul, you're stepping away from your family, your friends, your group, your kind, your identifying mark. You are saying to the world... That this is who I am. I don't care what you say, what I lose. I am with this guy because he is with my Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the word I would give you. And we'll sort of just, well, let's use this word, distinguished. When you hear the word distinguished, you may think of someone who dresses nicely. I don't want you to think of that. I want you to think instead of someone who distinguishes him or herself clearly that says, I am completely with Jesus. I don't care what I have to leave. I don't care who I have to walk away from because Jesus is the love of my life. And I am with him. One of the most beautiful things, and we talked about this actually before service. We got two, two couples right up here who have been married 51 and 52 years together. Let me tell you, one of the most beautiful things is when you see a husband and wife who say, 
I'm with her forever. She's with me forever. We are one. And there ain't nobody who's going to step between us. No one is inspired by a lukewarm marriage with people who are not fully committed to their spouse. Church, the world is not impressed with a Christian who is halfway committed to Jesus Christ. But this is a man who says, man, it doesn't matter what I lose. What I'm gaining is so much greater. That's justice. Are you a justice? Do you know people who have said, doesn't matter what I lose, I gain Jesus and I am with Jesus. We keep going here. Come on over here. We now get to Epaphras. Everyone say Epaphras. Epaphras. Verse 12 and 13. Look at what it says here. Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's from Colossae, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always, notice this, two things about him. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working, notice this, hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. There's two things. Here's the word I'd give you when it comes to Epaphras. He is a doer. He is a guy who gets it done. Whether it's on his knees or on his feet, he is a man who is getting it done. Notice it says that he is wrestling in prayer for you. What what does that even mean? Have you noticed that sometimes, sometimes you can't just ask something once. You don't just go to God once, but you are wrestling daily with God saying, please, Lord, please, Lord, Please, Lord, you get up. That's the first thing on the lips. You go to bed. That's the last thing on your mind. You are wrestling with God. You are intentional with God. You are coming to him in prayer. And this is the picture of Epaphras. By the way, you can learn a lot about a person by their prayer life, can't you? You learn what's important to them. So right now our children are four and seven years old. Our daughter Emma has gotten into the habit, and it, it's been maybe a few weeks since I heard this last, but she got into a habit for a season where she would pray for her stuffed animals every night. Dear God, although if my wife were to do it, she could get the lisp that my daughter seems to have her little, but it'd be, a, dear God, please be with puppy and kitty cat and floater. It's floater, but it, she says floater. It's... It, Okay, when I think of a floater, anyway, it's actually a little fish-like thing, okay? But that's the name, floater. And she prays for it. Here's what you know. When you listen to her prayer, you get an insight into her heart, don't you? When you hear one another pray, you get an insight into what is important with one another, amen? By the way, I, I think one of the most beautiful things is when you hear someone's prayer life mature. Here's what that means. A mature prayer life, yes, we pray for ourselves. Yes, we pray for good things for us. Yes, yes, all that. But a mature prayer life doesn't simply pray for my betterment. It prays for the good of others and the salvation of others. How many of us are on our knees right now praying, Lord, be with my neighbor, let them know Jesus. God, be with that barista, let her know Jesus. Dear God, that coworker, let him know Jesus. Father, that student, let her know Jesus. Our prayers reveal our heart. How many of us are doers where we are getting calloused knees because we are praying on behalf of others? But notice, he doesn't just pray. He is also a laborer. He is a hard worker. How many of us wish that we knew more hard workers in this world? 
How many of us know that the church of Jesus Christ is built on the backs of doers? People who show up, who say, I don't have to stand up in front, but you tell me what to do. I will help make it get done. By the way, one of the things I love about what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation is that that generation, more than any other that I am aware of, was a doer generation that said, I don't care the cost. I don't care if I get credit. I just want to see God's kingdom come. I'm going to show up and I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get it done. He was a doer. He was on his knees in prayer and on his feet to serve. Are you this kind of a person? Do you know doers? Go on. Now we have another easy name. Are you ready for your second easy name of the night? This is Luke. Everyone say Luke. Luke. I am your father. Not that Luke, different Luke. Luke, who is Luke? What do we know about Luke? Verse 14, we are told this about Luke. Our dear friend Luke, the, what's that word? Doctor. Doctor Luke. He was a physician. Now here's what's so incredible about Luke. He was not a paid minister. He was not a professional church leader. He is known for two things, being a doctor and an author. The word we might use is that he was a man who had some skill. He was a skilled man. Interestingly enough, he chose to leverage his skill, his education, his experience, his influence, his skills to be able to benefit the kingdom of God through the ministry of Paul. And so he travels around with Paul. Wherever Paul seems to go, he references Luke. By the way, if you're a man like Paul, always getting in fights, getting beaten up, flogged, imprisoned, malnourished, shipwrecked, how good would it be to have a traveling physician who stands on the sides, watches the mob tear you up? All right, any moment now. Y'all done? Okay, come here, Paul. And he just bandages them back up and then pushes them back out there. Round two, It's like Rocky's coach who comes over and slits the little bubble there so the blood... Okay, that's gross, but whatever. He's that guy who gets him back in the ring. This This is Luke who uses his skill, his what most people think of as secular skill for kingdom good. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Church, the work that you do has divine value. It is simply our job to figure out how to leverage what we do for the greater kingdom of God. And it does not have to happen in these four walls. In fact, some of the greatest kingdom work is going to happen in your industry, at your business, where you do life day in and day out. The other thing that Luke did is he took all of the experiences he had with Paul and with Peter, and he wrote two books of the New Testament. In fact, Verses wise, he wrote second only to Paul the most number of verses in the entire New Testament. Luke and Acts. Luke, the story of Jesus. Acts, the story of his church. Our most clear picture of the church of Jesus Christ in its first 30 years came because a doctor named Luke wrote it down. By the way, fun fact. Mark, uh, or we'll come back to that later. So you've got Luke. Let's keep going here. Now, one other thing we learn about it is that Luke was very dependable. You go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul says at this moment in his ministry, he's near death, he's near the end of his life, and he says, only 
Luke is still here. Can you imagine what that must have been like in the dungeon? You see the hand writing on the wall. You know what's coming. You know that although you appealed to Caesar for your trial, you know that this Caesar, Nero, he's insane and he hates Christians. For heaven's sakes, he lights them on fire to light his parties at night. And so he's in prison. Time's drawing short. But he's got one friend. Luke the doctor. And in both this passage and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the next name appears, but for very different reasons. The next one is this man named Demas. And in verse 14 of Colossians chapter 4, Demas is there. He's involved, he sends greetings, but by 2 Timothy chapter 4, the story is very different. In fact, if you want to look in your testaments, you may go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in verse 10, it says these very sobering words. Do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. Here's what I would give you as this word, and this is more the cautionary one. Demas... was a quitter, or he quit. And I don't know what happened. He started off in love with Jesus, partnering with Paul, doing what it was necessary to expand the message of the kingdom of God. I don't know what all happened, but the reality is he started strong, but where we last see him, and I don't know where he is today. I hope he turned, but the last mention of this man is that he, because he loved the world had said, I'm done. I'm done with following this way. I'm done with the hardness of it. I'm done, and I'm going off to do what I want to do. Hear me now, family. The most important day of our lives is the last day of our lives. Onesimus started poorly, but he ended great. Demas started great. But did he end great? Now listen, I'm not throwing stones. I don't know where Demas is today. I hope that we'll get to heaven. We'll get to hear the rest of his story. And he'll say, boy, I had a season there. I sowed my wild oats, but I came back. And we get to celebrate the continued grace of God. But here's the bigger thing. Quick question. What kind of person are you? What kind of people have you surrounded yourselves with? Are we surrounding ourselves with people? And are we ourselves people who have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ. You see, when he uses the word, the world, he's not talking about the physical place. He's talking about, when he says the world, he's talking about the ethic of the world, the attitude of the world, what the world values, what the world likes, how things work when there is no God in control and over it. That is what he loved. And consequently, he was one foot in and eventually two feet in. What, what kind of people are we? And again, not to beat us up, but church, I, I desperately want to see every one of you at the great banquet feast of the Lamb in heaven. In fact, can we just make a little agreement? There's supposedly 12 gates into heaven, right? There's 12 pearly gates, we're told. 
let's just make an agreement since, by the way, in eternity there is no time. Somehow that doesn't happen anymore. So, so let's just do this. Now, why don't we all meet on the easternmost gate, you know, two snaps after the coming of Jesus or something, okay? I want to see every one of you there. Let's none of us end poorly. Let us maintain the faith. What kind of person are you tonight? And if you have one foot in the world, will you please, please, please pull it back over because I guarantee eternity is far greater than a momentary joy that you may think you want today. What kind of people are we? All right, last two. Then we're going to call it a night. Are you ready? Here we go. (sighs) Nympha. Verse 15 says this of our sister. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha. Everybody say Nympha. And the church in her house. So this is a sister in Christ in, Laod- or in Colossae, most likely in Colossae, who, because she maybe had a larger home, she opened it up and allowed part of the church in Colossae, because church in, in, in first century did not meet in one centralized building like what we have. They met in a bunch of different houses. And so she is a house church. She is someone who said, you come on into my place. In other words, the church of the first century was a bunch of small groups. And so she had people in her house. Here's the word I'd give you for Nympha. Are you ready? She was hospitable. She's someone who said, what I have? It's a his. It's a his? Not Nympha. Nympha... I think it says in her house... But Nympha, here's what I want you to hear, church. When you open your home, you're actually opening your life to people. How many of you, when you have company coming over, you kind of clean the place up a little bit? Any of you just kind of, or maybe you're like some people I know, unless the house is completely, I mean, it's ready for HDTV clean, you don't want people over? Here's, why is that? Because when people come to your house, they see your stuff, don't they? You kind of say, well, this is really us. I'll tell you, you know that you have made it into the depths of our heart when we let you come over and we've not cleaned the house. When you get to see the war zone that is our children's play spaces, then you are a part of the family. This is a woman who, because she opened her house, she opened her heart, understand what kind of people are we? Are we hospitable that say, hey, my house is your house. It's just a gift God gave me. You come on over and use it. Hospitality, it's undervalued, but oh, so necessary in the church. And then number 10, here's the very last one, Archippus. Everybody say, Archippus. Verse 17, notice how Paul ends this little list of folk. Tell Archippus. Notice he doesn't say tell anyone anything else. It's only Archippus that gets a little command at the end. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received from the Lord. Period. Well, thanks, Paul. Why did Paul include that in this letter? Well, evidently, Archippus had been given a job by God, and at least to Paul's knowledge, Archippus hadn't finished the job God called him to. Here's the last kind of person. If you want to put a word down, this is someone who needs to get started. Get started. God gave him a job. God gave him a mission. And he just needs to get on it. 
He needs to figure out what God's called him to. And by the way, we don't know what he's been called to. It doesn't say, does it? Church, it's none of my business what God has called you to. And it's none of your business what God has called me to. But it is your business to do what God's called you to. And it's my business to do what he's called me to. Some of us, here's where we are tonight. We look at this and we say, well, what kind of person am I? Am I Atychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha? Or maybe I'm right here and I just don't know. I need to figure out and get started. Wherever you are, here's the beautiful thing Paul ends with these last few words. Grace be to you. Doesn't matter what God has called you to or who you are. Grace to you. You notice he says, I'm writing this with my own hand. Paul most likely had bad eyesight, we think. Maybe because of that day when he met Jesus on the road, that although he regained some of his sight, perhaps it was never quite the same because he, in this passage, says, I am now writing my name here. Someone else has been writing this down, but I'm going to write my own name. And then he says, remember my chains. Church, there is always a cost for following Jesus. But the glory is worth it. And whether you find yourself up here somewhere, you're just not sure where you are, or maybe you're going through the hard times, and I know so many of you are, here's what he says. No matter where you are, if you're in the dungeon, in chains, or you are free, whatever it is, or whatever your next step, grace to you. Grace from God through Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Who you are, it's about Jesus. What you can do, it's because of Jesus. It's by Jesus' grace that you've been saved, by Jesus' love love and grace that you've been empowered and by Jesus grace that when the last trumpet sounds we will be with him forever it's all about Jesus may his grace be with you and Clear Creek family may his grace be with you tonight as well let's pray together Holy God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for this little letter with a big message about a big God named Jesus. May we live for him. May we love him. May we find ourselves caught up in the big story of you at work in bringing all people to you. Father, show us what kind of people we are and what kind of people you've called us to be that we may love you We may show you, and one day we may be with you forever. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. And all those who agree tonight say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.